0: welcome to the OKC community podcast we are so glad you're here for more information about us please visit our website at okc community Church.com. well hi everyone so good to be with you um, well before I jump in I, I do want to mention one more thing you know that's been really cool last Monday we started what we call alpha and uh, it was an amazing night on the screen you'll see a little glimpse of the night. But uh, it was just a really great night. And I just want to re-emphasize to anybody in the room that this may interest you. Uh, we believe Alpha is for everyone. We believe it's for anybody that wants to explore God, has questions about God. We believe it's for people that even want to grow in their relationship with God. And then, of course, we believe it's for all of us because it's a great place. <laughs> I guess that was Ryan. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a great place for all of us to, um, uh, to invite friends to. And so we would, we would say, if you have someone you've been trying to invite to church or something like that, and it just doesn't feel like church is their thing, maybe Alpha is the place. And so if you'll see the big Alpha banners out in the lobby, you'll see all the stuff about Alpha out there, we'd love for you to go grab one of those cards, you know, let us know if we can be a part, you can fill it out, we can help you, there'll be people out there that can help you with Alpha. Um, and so, very excited about that. All right, let's get going. We're going to be in a part four of our series On the subject of joy and I have had a ton of really great conversations with some people about uh, this idea and obviously joy is not a new idea but it's one that we all wrestle with because we live in a world don't we we live in a world where we can be preoccupied we can be overburdened we can have so many things going on that can make joy a challenge Uh, because I know for some of us it's a lot easier to feel angry than joyful Uh, for some of us, it's a lot easier to feel exhausted than filled up. It's a lot easier to feel, um, you know, lonely than in community, and to feel disappointed than satisfied, and that's, that's not the way it should be. Uh, there is a more natural uh, way to live uh, with Christ, and, and we, we've been kind of exploring this idea of joy and, and, and just seeing, you know, because I know every one of us wants to live a life where we have the joy of Jesus filling our heart and uh, and so today, even though we've covered some important grounds so far, we want to end today by talking about the joy of giving. Everyone say joy. joy. Now look at the person next to you and smile. <laughs> I don't know, that just gets us all in a good mood, right? And I want you to look at this little joy challenge card that we are giving you. It's called a 90-day joy challenge. You can pull that card out, maybe you've already briefly looked at it. Take a look at this card. We're going we're to kind of end with this today, but I'll start with it now. Um, we, we were talking about how to end, you know, this series, and we thought, what if there was something that was sort of practical take home, like we could actually do something with this, uh, some of these ideas to live into a life of joy, and so kind of a one, two, three step thing, and um, here we go, and this is what we came up with. Uh, that what if over the next ninety days you lived into three s- simple but really huge and profound ideas and, and if you've been with us for this series we talked the first couple weeks about the idea of enjoying God in a lot of different ways but just that first idea like uh, we want to encourage you for ninety days what if you enjoyed God meaning taking delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart of course that's Psalm thirty seven four take time to delight. In the character of God, such as His love or His compassion, kindness, power, you can also delight in the creation of God, beauty and wonder. Maybe you remember the story, like uh, oh, "Thank you, God, for the tree." You know what I mean? And, and delight in gifts and blessings He's given given you. Uh, what if you every day took time to just dis- enjoy God? And the second one is rejoice, pray, and give thanks. This comes from First Thessalonians five sixteen through eighteen. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Consistently rejoice, we would encourage you to find ways to worship, tell someone a story of his goodness, like what if you intentionally said, yeah, I'm just gonna talk about what God's goodness is, to pray and spend time with God, and you know, Psalm 1611 says, in the presence of God there is the fullness of his joy, so you gotta get in prayer, and then give thanks, express gratitude to God every day and express gratitude to people you are thankful for. There's a really great line by Andy Stanley, it says, in express gratitude really communicates ingratitude. <laughs> And so when we don't express gratitude, uh, what is it really communicating? And so uh, that's the second one. And then the third one, which we're going to talk a little bit about today, is give joyfully. Test the tithe and be unusually generous. Experience the joy of giving. Um, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I want to open the floodgates of heaven. God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly. And, and we're going to obviously get into that today, but these are three really simple but really big ideas, and we would just encourage you, what if for 90 days you said in, April, in you know, March, April, and May, like, I'm gonna be very intentional about joy. And we try to make this practical, there's a little, this is a perforated card, so you can actually pull this bottom part off and you can fill out your name and, and a phone number and drop it in our joy box, which was not intentional, but works really great. You can just drop it in the joy box in the back, but it's not so we could follow up and nobody's gonna be saying, how are you doing these three things? Nobody's gonna be following up and like testing you on this stuff but we want to be able to send you reminders and little encouragements for the next 90 days. It says, hey, let's keep pressing into joy. Let's keep pressing into joy. And so if you do this, you're saying, hey, I'm gonna at least give this a shot. I'm gonna try this. You might not know, you might not be committing to saying, I'm gonna do this all really, really well, but I'm gonna to to give it a shot and uh, encouragement would be a helpful thing. And so today, if you're like into this and you're like, I kind of need something to push me into something intentional with my life, fill this out drop it in the joy box, and we'll, we'll send you a text every once in a while. We won't overdo it by any stretch of the imagination, but we want to encourage you in this, and so, um, so yes, uh, that's what we want to do. We want to try this, try this out, so hopefully this, even as we finish this message today, this will continue to speak to you as we go, but this 90-day joy challenge, I think, is just a really practical way for us to take what we've been doing and live into it. All right, let me pray, and then I'm going to run into this next part of our morning. Uh, Father, we love you. We thank you. We do ask Holy Spirit, as we just sang, would you come? Would you be in this room with us in a way that just, um, that we would open our hearts and that we would feel your power and we would feel your presence. I pray for every person, no matter if they're in a, maybe in a valley, Maybe they're just living in the middle right now, or maybe they're on a mountaintop, or wherever they're at in their life, I pray you would meet them right where they are. Show them that you have something for them today. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. How many of y'all know that giving is a gift? Do you know what I'm talking about? That giving is actually a gift, that God actually created giving for you and me. God didn't actually create giving for himself. He, didn't, he doesn't need us to give. Believe it or not, he doesn't need you to give to your neighbor, he doesn't need you to give to that person in need, he doesn't need you to, to give to a church, he doesn't need you to give to the nonprofit. he doesn't need you to give to any of that. God doesn't need you to do those things, although he'll use those things when you give. He actually created giving for you. He created giving for you and me, and until we understand that we actually need to be a person that gives, not only for our overall health, overall well-being, but even for our mental and emotional health, we are missing something that is critical in the scriptures, that he actually created giving for you and me, and I think this is an interesting place to begin, and uh, as we get going, I do want to say up front that we're going to get into some, a topic of giving, but it, and it touches on money, but giving is not all about money. money giving is about being a generous person with your time and with, your, with the things that God has given you in so many different ways, and how many of you guys would think, how many of you guys would say that God's given you a lot? Anybody agree with that? God's given us so much. God is so good. And and so there's so many things we can be generous with. And the Bible actually talks a whole lot about this this subject. But when we touch on money, there's a few subjects in life that um, you probably would agree that are sort of the subjects that nobody likes to talk about. Nobody likes to talk about money, politics, or religion. Right? These, are the, these are the party fouls. You, know, you go to a party and you say these things and you am like, mm, don't talk to that guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so these are the, these are the taboo subjects of our, of our life. But aren't these the very subjects that tap into the most real things about what we believe and what we think about life? And so this is something that the scriptures don't, don't, don't pull away from because this is real life stuff. And so the, t- the Bible is going to talk a lot about it. And if you're going to look at the Bible and just say, is this an important subject in the scriptures? Is this an important subject um, in Jesus' teachings well, just as by way of comparison, there's over 500 verses in the Bible that talk about prayer. So clearly, prayer is an important topic in the Bible. There's about 500 verses that talk about faith. So faith is clearly an important subject in the Bible. But there's over 2,000 verses that talk about money, possessions, and giving in the Bible. 16 of Jesus' 38 parables talk about this. So I mean, this is a this is a critical topic of conversation because jesus knows something about giving and about money and about who we are and about giving and he knows that this is something that all of us we kind of struggle with we kind of not quite sure how we're supposed to live this so we got to begin by establishing a couple realities um first psalm 34 8 says taste and see that the lord is good how many of you agree one more time we've asked this about four times a day how many you agree that the lord is good this is an important in this conversation. And then Psalm twenty four one says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So he's good and everything is his. Two realities that we gotta begin with. I don't know about you, but I often see that the little money that I have, the little possessions that I have, I see them as mine. You know what I'm talking about? M-I-N-E, capital mine. You know, this this is my stuff, the little bit of stuff that I have, and I think about it that way. And Psalm 24-1 is sort of easy to preach, but it's very difficult to live. Because I do believe that even though I want to think that they're his, I kind of struggle and think that it's all mine. Uh, Do I buy into the thought that I'm just managing a small part of what's already his, that that's my life? Would I be willing to take my savings and give it away if I saw an eternal purpose in it? Would I be willing to reduce my spending in order to increase my giving if I saw an eternal purpose in it? I mean, it's not mine anyway, right? And God is good, and he's given us so much. You see, the truth about giving and generosity we're going to get into a lot of this topic today, but it's not typically rooted in what we've been given. It's rooted in what we want to keep. (laughs) For many of us, we've we've been given a lot. And the truth that's hard to realize is that most of us in America, we're actually quite wealthy. And I think some of us know this. This is more of a stat that's getting more and more out there. But even even considering economies of scale and and cost of living and all those sorts of things, most middle-class Americans are in the top 10% uh, in the world in terms of wealth. And so we've been given a lot. But our giving is not predicated by what we've been given. It's predicated by what we want to keep. Most of us want to keep quite a bit. <laughs> I'll, show you, I'll show you an image I, I kind of found in a book recently. And it shows sort of the cycle of keeping and the cycle of giving. Because some of us want to keep it all, don't we? And some of us want to keep most of it. And some of us want to keep or give away more than the average person and, and there's very, very, very few that want to give away more than we keep, and, and, mo- and I'm in that boat where I'm, I struggle with that as well. So this idea of giving and keeping, right? So as you can see in this picture, the cycle of keeping actually e- equals no blessing, but the cycle of giving, there's great blessing, and in between there is this journey of faith that we have to exercise faith, not only in the Word of God and what it teaches, but that the Holy Spirit is with us, that the Holy Spirit is guiding us, the Holy Spirit cares about us, that God is good and everything is his, right? And so let me read this, this, this diagram illustrates 2 Corinthians 9. It says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. So this is a great verse. Blessings come from giving, sowing generously, right? Not, not keeping. Now, how many of y'all know what an oxymoron is? Yes, most of you do, of course. Jumbo shrimp, oxymoron, right? Right. Pretty ugly, <laughs> one of my faves, oxymoron. United Methodist, oxymoron. <laughs> Country music, oxymoron. <laughs> That's my favorite. And I've been saying that joke for years. But here's the thing. <clears throat> Jesus taught oxymorons, like paradoxical teachings are alive in the scriptures all the time. Right? So like the last shall be first. You got to die in order to live, and you got to give in order to receive. And so there is this paradoxical sort of teaching that Jesus has alive right inside it, and it's at the core. It's like every core teaching that Jesus has says, oh, yeah, you know, you you think this way, but it's really this way. And and this is one of them. This is the paradox of giving and receiving, And, and, and here's the thing. Does that flow with everyday life? Is that how everything else works in life? Today's mainstream culture in the U.S. is all about being money smart and financially savvy, is it not? You don't have to look too far to hear the latest ideas, how to grow your income, how to expand your financial trajectory, and none of those things are necessarily bad at all. In fact, there's loads of amazing financial insights, a lot of financial wisdom and advice, and a lot of ethical approaches to how do you, you know, increase your your earning power that are very good and very applicable things that we should, you know, consider if that's what we want to do. There's nothing wrong with that. However, just like anything, there couldn't be too much of a good thing. I was looking the other day as I was preparing for this going, okay, is there anything out there? Are there any financial tips out there that include giving in their strategy? And so I started looking through all these articles and all these Forbes magazines and money magazines, top 50 tips, top 100 tips, top 10 tips, top 5 tips, whatever, right? And every one of them, not one of these websites, I looked at probably a dozen or so, included giving in the tips of a financial strategy that you should make with your life. In fact, I had had to go and look for a different type of way for me to even find anything. And it was around people who had already been successful and they're looking for ways to try and give their money away, which is a very important thing to do. Someone has the money to give and they say, hey, do something meaningful with this and something that's lasting with this. I believe in that as well. That's a great thing. But I thought it was really telling about our culture and that when it came to financial planning and strategy, there wasn't one thing I could find where giving was a part of it. I thought, that's, uh, I guess that's normal, right? The things that I read were things like take bigger risks, invest more in yourself, be obsessed with growth, get rid of debt, duh. Does that really have to be a point? Let me, we know that. Don't spend more than you make, double duh. Um, <laughs> buy, invest, create assets. But funny enough, those were the two hardest I think people have, right? Debt and spending more than you make. Um, all good advice and tips. Dozens of websites. Um... But not one of them mentioned giving in the process of a financial plan. Modern-day culture, although I believe it has a lot of meaningful generosity threads in it, things like GoFundmes, you know, disaster relief, Make-a-Wish. These are all things that are out there and that are really good. Those are fantastic things. But what I'm finding about modern-day culture when it comes to the context of giving, it's more about a uh, minimalistic approach to giving <laughs> and, and a reactionary emergency kind of related rea- you know, focus to giving. So when there's an emergency, we can react to the emergency by giving then, and that's when we're generous. And so those are the threads of mainstream culture. Um, unless you've been successful and you have a lot to give, then there's a whole other category for you. And so I think it's it's worth saying, okay, well, what is counterculture then? Because Jesus is always kind of doing this paradoxical kind of thing. What's the countercultural, groundbreaking kind of stuff that the Bible teaches? Because I think it is just that, groundbreaking. And I believe it's leading towards a life that is about the joy of giving. Giving in the scriptures is never about a law. It's never about you gotta go do these things. It's always about a love relationship. It's always about you know, we, we give to the things that we love. And it leads us to have an idea that we'll talk about in a few minutes about what is the treasure of my heart? What's really in my heart? And so I, I would give a few thoughts and uh, hopefully they'll be helpful today. Um, but the first thought from the word that I want to talk about is that God, and I have kind of two ideas really, but God must be first. And Jesus, Jesus taught about this quite a bit Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Matthew 22:37 37 says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. That's the greatest commandment, right? Jesus said that's the greatest commandment. Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. John 13, 13 says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is who I am. So he's proclaiming I'm Lord, Jesus Lord, In other words, he's saying, God must come first in your life before anything else. So the question comes r- naturally right out of that. So what, what does come first? What comes first in our life? Does, does the concept, and, and if we apply this to our money and our, and our possessions and the things that we have that apparently are really the Lord's, what are we, what are we doing in that? What comes first? How are we honoring God in that? Does tithing or giving come first? We'll talk about tithing in a minute. I'm sure most of us, if we're honest, what comes first are, is, is our bills come first, right? You know, our house payment, our, our car payment, Visa, MasterCard, Discover, Starbucks, you know, all the essentials, <laughs> right? And the critical realization is we have to consider what comes first. When you sit down and you look at your budget, even this practical, like what, I remember when Christy had Christy and I had this conversation. We were, we were trying to figure out what's the first check we write. What's the first thing that's withdrawn from our account? Like what what is the thing that we do first with our money? Are you with me? I mean, for for some reason that felt really important to to say. I want God to be first in all things. Now, is it, is, is, does it really matter? I mean, if, if, I'm, if, I make a, if it all fits and it's not really the first, but it's, it's in there, I, for some reason it mattered. Like I had, to, I had to make that the first decision, then the rest of my money and my possessions revolves from there. And I start making decisions based upon that, not based upon, well, this is what I can afford for my car payment and we'll revolve everything around that. And this is a critical acknowledgement. Most of us, they most—I I do believe that the most important, you know, sort of truth that we can get from the Bible is actually this principle right here, that God must come first. And there's there's quite a bit of theological background on this belief, and some of you have likely likely heard some of this before, but first fruits language and things like that—it's all tied to wealth and livelihood. And let me just touch on it real quick. I mean, I'm doing kind of a brief teaching on this. If you know, I've done full series and other because places you've heard you do full series on giving. So I'm just touching on this today. But Proverbs 3:9 says, "Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase." So there's that word first fruits. We'll talk about that in a sec. And then Exodus 23:19 says, "Bring the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord, your God." And then Leviticus 27:30, you guys probably know this cuz I know you've memorized Leviticus, right? I mean, that's pretty normal. Um all of, the, all of the tithe uh, of the land, tithe is 10%, um, whether of seed or of the land or of the fruit of the tree is the Lord's and it is holy the Lord's. So you guys are like, okay, this is like totally not applying to my life. Remember in the ancient world, we we're dealing with a largely agricultural society. The currency was actually usually agricultural goods and it was required by God to give the first, um, to, give, to give gifts, if you will, sacrifices from the firstborn of your flock. And then also to give the first of the first from your crops. And so when it says that in Exodus, that he wants the first of the first fruits, why is that important? What is he talking about? Well, let's just say that you're a farmer and you're farming. I just, for some reason, I chose that we are, you have a peach farm. Is that a thing? So you're, you're growing peaches and, um, and, and let's just say that you are planning to have, um, peaches so you can make peach cobbler Peach pies, peach jelly. What else do peaches do? <laughs> peach tea. Peach tea. You're going to do that. Um. <laughs> you, this is a really bad business plan you're doing right now. You should diversify. All right? But we got peaches, and you're expecting 1,000 peaches this fall. All right? You're expecting 1,000 peaches. The first of the first fruits means that the first 100 peaches that come in you give those because you trust that God's going to, in faith, bring in the other 900. Are you with me? That's what first of the first fruits mean. And so you're thinking, oh, he's going to bring the other 900. I'm giving my first one. I'm not going to get all my 1,000 and then cherry pick the 100 that I want to give him. And yeah, this one's a little, <laughs> you know. But he's like, no, the first of the first fruits is that. Bringing in the first means you aren't waiting Another example of first fruits is found in the very beginning, it's in Genesis 4, so this has been around for a while, story of two brothers, Cain and Abel, it says this, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So, if you read this without an understanding of first fruits, you're like, why is God like playing favorites here? What's going on here? But you can see that Abel actually bought something from the firstborn of his flock. Well, it says in the course of time, meaning when he got around to it, really kind of indicating that he probably wasn't bringing from his first fruits, that's when Cain brought his. And so, is it possible that God is looking for some order to your money and possessions? some sort of priority to how you even use it. Also, for the record, isn't it good that we aren't having to give fat portions anymore? Can I get an amen, right? The, world makes, the word makes some clear, clear statements, um, teaches us to give of the first fruits, if you will, and also teaches us the idea of the tithe. And, uh, and, and the, the tithe is a very countercultural financial plan. You will not find it in the Forbes top 10 or top 100, probably even top 1,000 tips, right? You should tithe. That's not going to be in there. But the tithe is for the purpose of shaping your heart to treasure the Lord, to make him first. So my second thought that I want to talk about is, is, is to test God with the tithe, to, teth, to test the tithe. So the tithe means 10% of all you have in the Bible. And in the Bible, the tithe is the baseline. It's the starting blocks, all right? And this is where you begin a journey towards giving. And here's the thing. We're going to get into, is the is the tithe like a law? Is it? We're going to get into that real quick. But the tithe is where we begin. It's not the end goal. I've, I know a lot of people have had the mentality, like, I'm going to try and give a tithe. And so you're like in a race, like, I'm going to get there and you're exhausted. You get to the finish line and it's 10% and you go, God, I did it. I got that tithe then. But it's the, actually, that's the, that's the actual wrong way to look at it. It's not the finish line, it's the starting line. It's where you begin a journey. And, and so for a lot of us, we try and strive to get there, but instead of just starting, be, be deciding to start from there. And so this idea of uh, testing God with the tithe, I want us to read Malachi 3, uh, starting in verse 8. It says, will, will a mere mortal rob God? yet you rob me, but you ask, how are we robbing you? And then he said this, he said, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be a food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. This is huge. So a couple things. God writes that we're robbing Him when we withhold tithes and offerings. That's really strong language, you know. But it's in, it's in the Bible. Just reading the Bible, guys. That's all I'm doing. So many try to overlook this passage and explain it in a lot of different ways. We try and say, "Oh, this is an Old Testament thing, right? We're not under the Old Testament law anymore." And so, uh, but in verse six, I, I don't have it on the screen. But if you just went up, I started in verse eight. But in verse six, it actually says in Malachi uh, three, verse six, it says. The I, the Lord, do not change. Hmm. I'm the same today. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. So there's some consistency that he wants to establish about his character and about the things that he says. And Jesus said that I didn't come. And maybe you remember this verse when he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to actually fulfill it, to make it walk and talk and breathe. So Jesus is like teaching, like, listen, I didn't come to just throw all the Old Testament out. I came to actually make it more alive. And in fact, the crazy thing is when someone says, you know, I'm pretty sure it's an Old Testament thing that we're no longer bound to, the, bound to the Old Testament covenant because of the new covenant of Jesus. If you're into this sort of theology, here's the thing that I would say is you're absolutely correct that we are under, Jesus changed everything. There is a new covenant of Jesus and we are no longer just, this is really good news, this is the gospel, we are no longer justified or atoned our sins are no longer atoned for under the old covenant we are under the new covenant of Jesus and what he did on the cross so we have atonement and justification in Jesus amen Amen. and so that's the really really good news but Jesus said but I didn't come to abolish the law I didn't come to throw the 10 commandments out you cannot steal and you cannot kill (laughs) those laws still remain and there's other teachings in the old testament that remain so anything that was about justifying an atonement that's over But all these other things that I taught about, they aren't necessarily over, but they're not law anymore as much as Jesus saying, can I be the treasure of your heart? Can I be the thing you love the most? Can I be the thing that you trust more than anything in this world? Can I be the thing that you're willing to give to because I've promised that I will give you more than you can ever give me? And so, so God is actually trying to set us up to a life in which he's saying, listen, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to take from you. I'm trying to give to you, but I have to unlock your heart. What are you trying to keep? And here it is in Malachi, and he says, you can test God in this. There's no other place that says this, by the way. There's no other test that we get to do, but he says, you can test me with the tithe bring the whole tithe into the tithe into the storehouse and see if I do not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing. This is the one thing in the scriptures that we are pretty sure that we're allowed to test God in. So what does that mean? If it, it, well, I think it means if you don't tithe, try it. See what happens. Well, see what happens to your heart. See what happens to your life practically. Well, you know, one of the biggest arguments about giving is I don't think I can give. It's not a hard, people want to give, but I don't think I can. You don't understand, like, it, I just don't have any room to do it. But you know how many times I've heard that story over and over again, and then someone says, fine, I'll test the Lord in this. And they see him not only stretch things financially, if it's about the money, but he also brings in so many unexpected blessings that they just continually talk about. God is so good. Everything is the Lord's. So I think for a person who's never practiced giving or tithing, it's important to hear that God says you can test him. So that's what this whole 90-day challenge piece was about, by the way. What if for 90 days? If you need this test, do it for 90 days, see what happens. Notice also in Malachi verse 8, I think I'll highlight this on the screen, it says, how are you robbing robbing me? It says, in tithes and offerings. Now, the word offerings is not like he just said the same thing again. He didn't say, like, in tithes and tithes. He wasn't just trying to come up with another word. There are two separate things. One is tithes, meaning 10% of your livelihood, and one is free will offerings, meaning there is more to give. Jesus actually taught this way more than the Old Testament taught this. Jesus actually taught that, hey, listen. This isn't just about 10%. This is about your whole life. This is about you being a generous person with all that you have, all that I've given you, which is not just your money and possessions, but is your personhood, right? That you're generous with it. And he says, but what he says, free will offerings. This is why the tithe is the floor and not the ceiling of our giving. Are you with me? Because there is, we can do in addition to a tithe. And this is when Jesus reinforces this life of generosity all the way down to being generous with our entire lives. When Jesus says, when you give a cup of cool water in my name, it's like you're giving it to me. So you give a cup of cool water to someone who needs a drink, that's an offering. Are you with me? You, you have a neighbor in need and you, you meet that need, that's an offering. You give support to a missionary, that's an offering. You give a prayer to someone that's in need of prayer, that's an offering. You give away possessions to people who need them because you have a closet full of things you don't need anymore. That's an offering. We sow seeds into the kingdom of God. And over and over again, Jesus did this, didn't he? Think about Jesus' life. He gave away his time. He gave away the truth. He gave away his love. He gave away his compassion. All the way down to him ultimately giving away his entire life for us. This is what Jesus did. He modeled it. He wasn't just like, hey, give. There was a time whenever the Pharisees were actually, he comes up to me and says, hey, you know what? I saw that you're giving 10%. You're just a bunch of hypocrites though because you know what? You don't give any mercy and faith. He says, you need to give your 10% and you need to be faithful and merciful. He says, you can't buy your way into heaven, which is a really strong word for people that aren't in this church probably. I was just being nice. But for real, right? It's not just about giving a lot of money. It's about giving what you're supposed to give and then more <laughs> than just monetary, but your lives as well. So this is all kingdom culture stuff, and we can live and operate from a kingdom culture mindset. I'll just kind of show you what I mean by that. I have a quick slide here of um, secular culture and and kingdom culture. So secular culture, this is kind of based upon some of the things, you know, if you're reading the top 10 things, right, for Forbes or whatever, it says ensure security. You know, this is what secular culture says. Make sure you're secure in your life. You know, get a 401k, invest in yourself, you know, protect your assets, be money smart, all that kind of stuff. The secular culture says, everything I make is deserved, meaning it's a mindset of it's mine. I deserve it. Whatever privileges I've earned, I can enjoy them. Secular culture says, my plans come first. In other words, what what do I want and how fast can I get it? And then secular culture says, treasures on earth, which I'm about to read in just a second. Kingdom culture says, ensure generosity though. Kingdom culture says, everything is the Lord's Everything's a gift, therefore it can be a gift to others. Kingdom culture says God is first, meaning first fruits or tithes or offerings where I begin my financial plan. It all begins with God. And then treasures in heaven. What, is, so what am I talking about? Treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. Um, well, before I get there, I, I, I gotta read this verse one more time just because I wanna make sure we catch this. 2 Corinthians 9 says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. i already read this, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna jump down. Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to bless you abundantly see that's a life of joy and that's when I put a statement on the screen that kind of kind of summarizes kind of what I'm saying here this is just something I, I wrote and I, I think is true so if I'm not right you can you know throw a tomato at me or something but it is biblically impossible to experience the fullness of joy the joy of Jesus without faithfully giving In other words, a lack of giving becomes a roadblock to joy. When we choose to give less than he's taught us to give, we miss the abundant blessing God so longs to impart. God created giving for you and me. God doesn't need you to give. You need you to give. The the joy of giving should be the number one financial tip on every list. I think I'm going to put a website out and make a, I don't know. Nobody's going to read it, but I want to close with this this as a really important thought. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So there's so much to say about this passage. First of all, what exactly are treasures on earth? (laughs) My guess is it's pretty much everything we spend money on and do all the time, right? And and which leads to the second question, well, how do I store up treasures in heaven? What does that look like? Well, this scripture opens up a huge concept for me that I just kind of want to call it the dash the dot and the line and we'll close with this big concept but very easy to explain the dash represents your life you know we've all been to a cemetery and we've seen the the headstones that mark the graves of those who've passed away and i'm sure you're like me you've had a few times where you've done the somber walk through a cemetery right you just kind of look at the headstones and you're Kind of take it in and, and but you, of course you see a few things on the headstone besides the name you of course see a year for example 1978 1978 is the year I was born which sounding older and older all the time right but I will say this the other day someone said they thought it was 25 <laughs> what's up what's up what's up <laughs> The just for men is working <laughs> <laughs> just kidding I've never used this stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with it, for those of you who partake in some uh, JFM, okay? Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Are we talking about headstones? Why are you guys laughing? (laughs) So yeah, yeah, 1978, right? And then there's this thing, right? And it's a dash. There's a dash, and then of course, after the dash is the year of the death, and in our case, it's question mark, right? We don't know that date quite yet, thankfully. But the dash represents our lives. And years ago, one of my seminary professors used to say, hey, that dash represents a story. What's your story gonna be? What's that dash gonna say? He would just go over and over like the dash, the dash, the dash, what's your dash? What's the story of your dash? And the dash says something though really profound. It says that what you do right now matters. What you do now matters. So what I do now matters. And the dot and the line also represent our life you know, author Randy Alcorn, he talks about the dot and the line, and, and it looks like this. Um, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a dot and then a long line, and the dot represents your dash. Basically, the short time of your life, your time here on earth, right? That's the dot. And the line represents eternity, meaning there's an unending line after the dot called eternity. And for most of us that know Jesus, we're, we're, we're hopeful about eternity, right? Uh, Or one day in heaven. And um, so there's this unending line. And so simply stated, the dot helps us realize that now is a short time, is it not? The dot is a short time. And the line gives us a picture that we ought to live for the line. We should live for things of eternal value and purpose. We should live with the mindset of the kingdom of heaven instead of the kingdoms of this world so what i do now matters now is a short time and live for the line dash dot line let me read this scripture again if you can put up uh, the matthew 6 verse again it says do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the dot right Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures on the line in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. I think Jesus is saying, live for the line. Don't put all your effort, don't put all the effort of your dash into the dot. (laughs) Live your dash for the sake of the line. Are you with me are you guys following this you with me right i don't want to trade in my line for the dot i i want jesus to be the treasure of my heart i want him to be the lord of my life i want to allow his word and the things that he teaches us to come into my heart and unlock my heart i want him to to take my fist that like to clench to things to say these things are mine and to unclench them and open my hands in a way that says, Lord, everything in the earth is yours. All I have is yours and I can trust you with what I have. So I hold my whole life, I hold everything I have with open hands, trusting that you will take and you will give, that as I give, things, that, Lord, I will receive the things you give me, and I will carry responsibly with great stewardship and with great faith the things that you put in my hands over the course of my life, but I will never put my hands back over them and clench them again. They're not mine. They're yours. And here's the great news about the things that are his and the things about God and the things that he entrusts us with, is that we have a God who is good. We have a God who is so good. And because he's so good, he's never going to take from us. He's never going to keep from us. He's never going to withhold from us. He's never going to say, I need what you have so I can build my kingdom. No, his kingdom is our kingdom. What we give to him, he gives not only back to us, but he multiplies because when we sow generously, we reap generously. When we sow 10 seeds, we get 10,000 back. Are you with me? That's the way the kingdom works. And so when I lay up treasures in heaven, and I live for the line it makes my dash my story so much better so my friends I want to pray and then we're going to worship we have some time to worship but um, we give because God is good and everything is his father we pray that as we spend some time here in the next few minutes um, just worshiping you I pray that today Lord even though we talked about a lot of things here today that God, um, this would be a time where we can just celebrate you and your goodness because you're so good. We want to give you more than, more than we keep, Lord. We want to give our life for the line, if you will. And so, Father, I pray for this. Lord, I just want to, this is a way of responding right now um, as we're about to sing. How many of you guys, you, with your heads bowed, how many of you guys right now would say, I want to declare that God is good with my life. Just raise your hand. I mean, that's going to be a lot of us, right? I want to declare that God is goodness in my life, and I also want to declare with everything—everything everything that I do—with my time, my money, my 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 gifts, my kindness, my prayers. I want to declare that everything is His, and that I'm going to I'm going to, I'm going to trust trust him with what he's given me just lift your hand up if that's where you're at say i want to trust him with what he's given me so father we pray that with hearts that just align with that that lord you're good and that lord we can trust you with what you've given us lord we just pray that god today we would kind of erupt if you will in praise and worship in your goodness we pray all these things in your name amen would you stand with us we're gonna sing we're gonna sing for a few minutes we might go over a few minutes over but that's a great thing we can do that today but we have. We have prayer teams available in the front and back if you just have something going on in your life that you want to pray for. But my heart and my hope is that we can just praise and worship a God who is good. Everyone just say, God is good. Let's say that one more time. God is good. We praise you today, Father. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.